didn't see it coming. The podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. Now, one of the hottest topics, and probably, I think, overdone topics, is millennials. Everybody has an opinion on millennials. Everybody has something to say. Every brand wants to cater to them. But I find the whole topic a bit boring because we're looking at millennials from the outside in. We're, we're, we're rattling off all the characteristics of millennials, but none of us are really going any deeper than that. That We're just painting a sort of a cartoon picture of them. And I thought for any brand that really wants to thrive and survive in these times of turbulence, they have to go inside the mindset of millennials in an effort to understand what drives them, why, and possibly what we could even learn about ourselves reflecting in the back, reflecting in the mirror of the millennials. So to explore this topic deeper, I brought on my regular guest, John Marshall Roberts, behavioral psychologist, author, and John, you and I have had conversations about tons of different things before digging below the surface, finding some glimmer of enlightenment and insight. And millennials, you've got a very, very strong idea on what happens below the surface. So talk to us. First off, I'll talk to us a little bit about how you came up with your, your ideas on how to dig deeper. Okay, Mark, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Um, and this is a topic definitely that, that inspires me. You, you know, anyone that's been listening to some of our ongoing recent conversations, I've talked about uh, this discovery I call the voice code. Um, and basically, you know, I, I came from a marketing background, and I, uh, in 2008, released a book where I offered a, a very uh, abnormally deep and insightful segmentation system to the world uh, that was rooted in someone else's uh, research, actually, called this worldview framework in my book, Igniting Inspiration. We talked about, uh, you know, these five major worldviews that seem to be, you know, shaping the way people look at everything from climate change, social change, uh, business and this, that, and the other. Well, what happened is, you know, after collecting data, psychometric data out there in the marketplace, we have a tool, you know, it's translated into many different languages, or a lot of big brands. You know, basically, we started to see, you know, that not only were these worldviews, as we called them, predictive and, and very effective at influencing people, but that there was actually a pattern that, was, that helped us understand why worldviews evolved the way they did. Right, So there was a mm-hmm. researcher named Claire W. Graves who did 40 years of research collecting data. He didn't have a theory. He just collected data and saw that people's ways of thinking evolved in predictable ways over time. There was a path, mm-hmm. right, and that it applied independent of language all around the world. And this is exciting stuff. Well, what we discovered was that that path was laid out according to uh, natural laws, basically. We have an equation which shows that path, why that path traveled the way that it did. Mm-hmm. Right, this was new information, and with this equation, we were able to complete um, the uh, what he originally was actually an eight-stage model that Claire Graves discovered, and show that there are actually twelve stages of thinking from beginning uh, to end. And the first stage in our model starts literally in the womb, mm-hmm. right, the most primitive level of consciousness, and then it ends in what we call stage twelve, which would be akin to some of the spiritual religious leaders in history, from Buddha to Jesus to uh, whoever else uh, would have, has, has, has reached those levels 
that they seem like magicians to the rest of us, right? right? And so what was really fascinating was when you could see all 12, all 12 stages and how they fit together, you start to understand the whole picture. And so it, it adds this great level of insight into these segmentations that we had already been using. And, that, and when we look at the millennials or any generation through this lens now, we start to be able to get this real inside-out look at what it is that's driving them and the big why that's really um, inspiring them to take action and, and be the way they are in the world. Now, so if I could do so without sounding too professorly, I'd love to try to help you see the millennials through that point of view. I, I want to I backtrack just a bit. Um, for folks who aren't familiar with John's methodology, it's something that I've used a lot in my own practice. And I always fall back on... on um, the, the the piece that you just referred to, Claire Graves' research and and the um, the the stages, and you outline those in your book, igniting inspiration. And the four that I always fall back on, you've got the absolutists, the folks who are sort of the, the folks who built the world in the 20th century. You know, the factory workers, the blue collar, the um, uh, belief in God and country and self sacrifice. You've got the opportunists, the opportunists rather who came after them, said, "I'm not going to wait around for my uh, re- reward from God. I'm going to go and get it now." Uh, you've got the humanists, the children of the opportunists who um, want to throw their arms around the world and ended up a little bit jaded because the, ar- the world didn't throw its arms back around them. And then you've got the systems thinkers, uh, folks who realize that money does make the world go round, but money is not an end in itself. And I use this all the time in my practice when trying to help folks understand um, all the people that they're talking to and how saying one thing to two different groups can have completely different results. Now, all of these things, they seem to fall a bit short when it comes to millennials. I, I want to go, go unpacking a little bit deeper with millennials. You have a pretty strong concept of what is going on inside their heads. Dig into that a little bit. From my understanding and based on the data, the millennials are really the first generation that's centered on what we call phase two of this 12-stage developmental process. Basically, what we found is that there's uh, six worldviews, basically climbing up a mountain. It's a survival-based mindset, and it ends with what you call the opportunist, opportunist, which I'm calling mm-hmm. the achiever. Right. You know, and in an earlier talk, where we talked about Donald Trump as kind of being uh, maybe not the most positive always, but an example of that achiever mindset, you know, looking at life as a game that you either win or lose, right? Right. Uh, right. And, you know that that he's sort of that according to our research is kind of the last worldview on what we call phase one, right? And there's nothing wrong with any of these worldviews. It's just a process, as I understand it. This is all really just a process that we're all moving mm-hmm. through at our own speed, and we're all moving through in concert. You know, so uh, all of our actions, wherever we are on this court mountain that I'm talking about, this process, we're influencing and interacting with everyone else on the whole mountain. So uh, no better or worse here. It's just a process. Now, mm-hmm. what's interesting, though, and what we want to get, which we didn't get in my first book because we didn't have the voice code, is that once we reach achiever um, status, once we get there and we work through those lessons, we begin to ask, you know, is that all there is? And then there's this sort of crisis where we begin to doubt a lot of what we learned growing up. That's when we sort of shift into what I call phase two, and, and to use that mountain graphics, like we start now going down the mountain that we just climbed, mm-hmm. unlearning a lot of limiting beliefs that were taught into us growing up. And this is when we begin to um, start to satisfy those self-actualization needs that Maslow talked about, right? What's actually happening is that we're entering a new phase where there's six stages of unlearning, right, where mm-hmm. we begin to shift from um, a life where we're living based on beliefs taught to us, and we start to live from the inside out based on knowing, 
right, instinctual inner knowing, regardless of what everyone else believes. So to understand the millennials, we need to understand they're the first generation that is really just squarely centering on phase two, which is like an emerging level of human thinking, right? It's a new way of thinking where they're thinking from the inside out. What uh, the millennials are doing, in my opinion, is they're seeking to become self-authored. They're reframing a principle that's critical to this whole process that we call authority. Mm-hmm. Um, under, this, under this framework, there are three principles that guide all human behavior. It's pretty simple. Authority, resonance, and trust. And authority is about uh, the power to create through choice. When we're in phase one, which we all have to pass through, we tend to respect what the authorities tell us and try to author our lives within the constraints of that belief reality that was taught to us by the authorities of our youth, right? Right. The millennials uh, may may seem like impossible to deal with. They don't want to do a nine-to-five job and all this other stuff. What's really going on here, the reason for that is that their evolutionary challenge is to become self-authored, to uh, operate based on an inner authority frame to frame the power to create or choose as internal rather than external. What this means is that they can't be bribed or persuaded or forced or coerced into going along with the belief reality that their parents and that the world handed to them. They are here to uh, make a difference following their inner knowing or what I call their voice. And whether they're good at that is another question. But if we look at this generation through this lens, we begin to understand that even their, you know, the things we might, some might judge them for, calling them, you know, selfish and, and uh, lazy, undisciplined or flaky or whatever. What's really going on here from our perspective is that they are doing their best to embody this new mindset in a world that hasn't given them a lot of proof of concept in terms of growing up, you know, has really taught mm-hmm. them to think the opposite of how they were designed to think. So there's a friction here between the generations that came before and between, uh, you know, the imperatives of their generation. And I think that a lot of the challenges here are them learning to kind of overcome that gap to sort of embody a new type of leadership, which, by the way, has always existed. You know, right. all great visionary minds have learned to think from this inner uh, inside-out mindset. But what has never happened, in my understanding, is that a whole generation has been challenged with doing that. Now, and that's where we are today. Is this is this something that's that's unique to the millennials, or is this something you just go? They're young; they need to find their way, sow their oats, uh, push against the authority, and then they're going to settle down and become exactly like us. Or do you think they're going to be fundamentally different? Well, I think that's another interesting thing. You know, we we all pass through these stages, but in prior eras, there was such a gravity. Uh, like a, a cultural center of gravity that was still on what we call phase one. So while we were, all might have been aspirational when we were young and really wanted to embrace a lot of these, you know, phase two ideas, follow your voice, follow your heart, at the end of the day, it wasn't the technology and the, the way things were going, the rate of change wasn't as quick. And it was it ultimately, we, a lot of us got pulled back onto phase one, even though we wanted yeah, to. Yeah, we, we, we all became our dad, right? After a while, we sowed our wild oats and right. we pushed against our dad. We didn't want to be our dad, and then suddenly we became our dad. Right. I think that, not to say that won't ever happen today, but the truth is that the center of gravity, I, I strongly believe, based both on personal experience, based on, you know, the data we've gathered, based on just looking at, you know, uh, the election of someone like Obama, 2008, it's a big shift, right? That technology changes. There's been a big shift, and I believe the center of gravity, especially after the second election, 2012, finally shifted to phase two. You know, companies like Google and Apple leading the world with this aspirational kind of uh, unconventional um, aesthetic, 
brands. Now, whether or not they become corrupted by power and enter a phase one kind of mindset once they get there, we can have another discussion on that. But the truth is that something has shifted. And I feel strongly that as part of just the evolution of uh, mankind as a whole, what's happened is that, you know, there's no going back. Um, the, right. You know, the millennials are really kind of out here and they've got to kind of find their inner voice to kind of lead us to understand this inside out world and kind of embrace it. If you look at the economy, who's really been leading what I call the creative economy. That's really been, you know, Tom's Shoes and all these different aspirational brands, these massive niches, very, very, very phase two, very inside out, right? right. And I think the rest of, you know, right now there's just a, an awkwardness because a lot of people who were raised to, to make, to be successful in a phase one world are, ha- are being challenged to uh, let go of old beliefs and get up, you know, get with the times. Whereas this new generation who doesn't yet have the power, they have the right attitude, but they haven't yet necessarily uh, earned the gravitas to lead um, the older generation yet. So there's just this awkward period where we're, we're as a whole learning how to live in a phase two world, which right. is all about inside out thinking, right, and all about honoring our inner authority over our beliefs now, and it, over contention. That brings up a, that brings up an interesting point because I have a feeling that just because um, you're older doesn't mean you can't have a millennial mindset. We've seen the world shift so dramatically with climate change, with transparency of the internet, um, that a lot of us, I think, who, as you described in your previous book, are systems thinkers, folks who are more open-minded, people who are hungry for information, have adopted that sort of inside-out mindset, questioning authority, looking for something that's driven by values. Um, if, even if we were driven to become our dads and, and chase the dollar, we've kind of had a, a bit of an, a reawakening going, my God, that isn't working. We've got to do it. So it's almost like we're struggling to, to pull up the rear behind the millennials. Do you think that that's actually happening, that, that people of all ages are sort of being pulled into this mindset at, that the millennials are personifying? Absolutely. And I think, you know, the uh, change technology is one of the greatest catalysts for this shift. You know, and it it happens on the inside and the outside. But just look at the accelerating rate of change, right? If we think of time, you know, people, there's uh, some books talking about time speeding up. Obviously, the clock uh, hasn't started ticking faster, but the rate of decisions per second has definitely increased, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. And and, and thinking has increased and information flow has increased. And it's really just, uh, at one level, you might look at this as just an adaptation that's necessary to deal with the overwhelming increase in information complexity, Right, like we're having to make decisions, but the game, the rules of the game keep keep changing. At a certain point, when change becomes the only constant, you realize that there are no rules really, except the ones that you write and embody to author your own experience within, uh, you know, a world where you can tell pretty much any story you want. You know, anyone can find evidence to tell the story that they want, but the story that they tell isn't necessarily the one that's going to make them happy. Meaning we're being challenged to author a story that makes us happy in a world of infinite complexity, and we can no longer rely on the opinions of external authorities to do that, right? Because you can Mm -hmm. find just people having opposite points of view with Harvard degrees or whatever to where people are going, well, what is true? You know, what is ultimately true when everybody disagrees on on the elephant, right? Who, Mm -hmm. Who can see the whole elephant? instead of just seeing a narrow slit of that elephant, right? How do we take the blinders off? That's the question of our time. And I don't see it changing because I don't see information complexity and digital connectivity changing anytime soon. I believe what we're really at the midst of is, is, is a crisis and also, in a sense, a revolution, what you might even call a spiritual revolution. Because think of it this way. If our traditional scientific revolution mindset is to look for the truth out there, 
mm-hmm. right? And we ultimately see that we've reached a state where nothing is stable out there, right? And we can't find it out there. Where do we look? Well, we ultimately have to look within ourselves right. to, in our hearts ultimately to find out what's true for us and stop worrying about what other people think and really just own our weird and set forward in a spirit of contribution and hope it works out. Now, that actually is the only way that, in my understanding, great minds have ever changed the world. So really what I think is happening here is that we're all being forced to catch up with a lot of those outliers of human history at once as a generation, right? All of us. And I think that the the millennials are just the generation who's kind of uh, you know, caught in the crosshairs of that shift, but in order to survive, we're all being challenged to think like them. You know, I think you hit on a really important point there because, I mean, as you were speaking, I was thinking of Steve Jobs' famous commencement speech at Stanford that um, as soon as you realize that everything in the world was invented by people who are no smarter than you, that changes your perspective on everything. But with us, it was far too easy after we'd sown our wild oats and pushed back against the authority and, and you know, formed our punk rock bands. Um, it was far too easy just to go back into a mode of consumption, and it was very comfortable. And now what we're seeing is that that mode of uh, being comfortable consumers is being blown up uh, right behind us. You know, the bridges are burning, and we have to move forward, and we have to uh, get serious about the whole idea of, of uh, forming our next reality. And um, it's uncomfortable for folks who are older because you've come from this comfortable, easy chair of consumption and being a happy consumer to now being forced to live according to your values and get a set of values and start exercising your values again. Um, now, this is, this, is, this is interesting because do you think that there is a huge generation gap here between the millennials and the rest of us? Or uh, should we just be looking at a whole new mindset that's forming and that isn't personified by anyone of any specific age group? Yeah, that, I think ultimately the, the latter. Ultimately, I think, I mean, that's why, you know, I love this map so much, not just because I make my living around yeah. it. I make my living around it because, because I've been, you know, I think in some ways I was like an early millennial, maybe, you know, really looking for meaning and purpose in, in, in this uh, consumerist world and a little bit confused and really trying to live in an inside-out way. Um, and, you know, ultimately I arrived at this map, which allowed me to sort of see my connection to all the different worldviews and see it as a, as a larger shift that I'm going through, but that also scales up to the, a global level, you know, so that, it, so that it wasn't really about what, basically to escape boxes. I think we're, you know, all belief boxes are crumbling, and yes, we're all going through this, um, you know, but it's helpful to have an understanding of why and how it all works. And the millennials, in a sense, yeah, they, they, that's still an abstraction. It's a linguistic abstraction that right. we're, we're putting onto the whole in order to make sense of it. And, yes, it has some value. But at the end of the day, we're all in the same boat here. It's just that we each are going to have uh, experienced this shift differently depending on where we stand in terms of this, this worldview, these 12 stages of you know, these worldviews. Because there's just dramatic differences that we go through Huge. on an internal level as we scale this ladder. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Now, as a brand, bringing it all back to finish this off, as a brand, I've just listened to this interview and I say, all right, I, I hear that something dramatically different is coming. Is there any hope for me? What do I have to say? What do I have to do? <laughs> oh, everybody start your, start your record. Everybody should start their recorder running now because it's, this is the million dollar answer. <laughs> All right, I got to try to give you a million dollar answer. Well, you know the fun, my first question you won't like, which is to say, you know, uh, you tell me, right? Um, yeah. We're talking about an inside out thing, right? So to look to experts 
to tell you how to behave, right, is ultimately a frame one, uh, a phase one frame lock. Having said that, I just gave you the answer within my response, which is to say you have to really look and model, you know, be the change that Gandhi said, right? We mm-hmm. have to really uh, find out what our true authentic aspirational why is and build everything we do around that. That's true at an individual level and up at a brand level, right? Mm-hmm. The, uh, now, now, that's hard to do. Uh, if a bra- I mean, I'm not saying there aren't some learning challenges or rather unlearned challenges mm-hmm. for brands who, you know, came uh, into power through that outside-in control, top-down kind of phase one mindset. But, uh, you know, w- the real challenge of today then is to unlearn everything that isn't true so that that authentic essence, that, that guiding purpose can shine through and then to invite others to participate, right? So the model is shifting. Like in the old days, it's kind of like, you know, we wanted to try to please everybody. Hey, what are the aspirations? Mm-hmm. How can we sort of be their buddy? Hey, buddy, hey, look, I got what you want. It's a little different now. Now you're a lighthouse. You want to find out what you stand for and stand where you, where you belong on the beach and shine that light outward so that the ships can find you. Um, so it's really about getting that clarity, and it's really about what do you have to do to get that. You have to really question a lot of what you believe, go inward, and find that nugget of timeless truth, that North Star you know, essence that animates you yeah. and build things around it. Um, is this going to be easy? No. What is easy? But what's really the hardest thing to do is to be the dinosaur who's dying. You know what I mean? Yeah. When the world's moving forward. I think anyone who neglects the advice I'm giving is in for a lot of challenges until they finally, uh, you know, get the fact that there's no other way. I think we really I hate to be, you know, I don't want to be alarmist, but we really need to get with the fact that, you know, the operating system of our culture has changed and it's yeah. changed quickly. All we, it's actually a lot easier today once we get that. All we really have to do is focus on making sure that we're aligned internally and that, you know, our inner game is driving our outer game. If we can do that both individually and in terms of our work teams, in terms of our corporations, then a lot of the external game takes care of itself. People flock to authentic people and brands in a world full of people who aren't willing to do that work, we begin to shine and stand out, and those ships come to our harbor uh, pretty easily. And we can do a lot with a little in today's digital culture when what we're shining out there is something that is truly resonant and authentic with the aspirations of those who we care about. I can't imagine anything that would sound uh, better after this. Anybody who talks after this loses. I think that's an awesome thought. The lighthouse. We have to be. Well, you know, it's it's true because uh, I, I say a lot um, with your ultimate speech, the company that we just started. That uh, people are gravitating to speeches because people are gravitating to real people as opposed to slick prefabricated brands. I also say, you know, the um, when you look at uh, di- complex issues like climate change and how people have denied it, you know, any six-year-old can tell you what's going on in the world. It takes a lifetime of education to unlearn that and get the wrong answer. Um, but, you know, if you get back to what really drives you, the clean simplicity, the thinking of a six-year-old, that everything is actually fairly clear, um, you're okay. And, and we're seeing, you know, icons like Yvonne Schwinnard and Paul Pullman at Unilever go, you know what, it's wrong because it's just wrong. So we're going to do it the other way. And you're going, wow, that was really, really hard, but really simple. Um, John, the, this, uh, the lighthouse thing is going to stick with me. I think that's going to be the new, that's going to be the new hook phrase that I use. Thank you so much for the enlightenment. Of course. It's always a pleasure, uh, Mark. Thank you for having me. All right. And next time, what should we do? What should we decode next time? Decoding really old people like me? Yeah. <laughs> It'll be a short show. It'll be a very short show. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think you've got a lot going under the hood there, but I won't blow your cup. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. 
You've been listening to Didn't See It Coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. If you want to get a hold of me, drop me an email at mark, M-A-R-C, at markstoiber.com, M-A-R-C.com.